It's August 19th, 2015, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. Happy Startup Day, everyone. First up, we'll hear about two upcoming events. Kelsey Amos from Purple Maya is here to tell us about the weekend coding workshop for middle school students. Then Chalmer Lowe will tell us about an upcoming Pi Hawaii event. Finally, for the rest of the hour, we'll catch up with the UH, University of Hawaii makers, John Rand and student Gina Wang-Kun will tell us about the maker movement at the university and, of course, their experiences at the National Maker Fair in Washington, D.C. How is UH nurturing the maker movement and STEM education in general? How are student makers building their own educational opportunities? Of course, we'd love your thoughts or questions as part of that conversation as well. You should be ready to call in or tweet after the break. Well, of course, we will jump right into our lovely guests who are here in the studio and want to welcome Kelsey Amos from Purple Maya, and she's here to tell us about uh, this upcoming weekend coding workshop. Welcome to the show, Kelsey. Thank you. So Thank tell you. us first off uh, a little bit about Purple Maya. I mean, it's kind of a unique name, and, and everybody out there who uh, is uh, familiar with bananas, banana is Maya right? yeah. in, in, in Hawaiian. Yeah. So tell us about what is Purple Maya? Yeah, about? so Purple Maya is a technology education nonprofit um, founded by two Hawaiian um, businessmen and technologists, Donovan Kealoha and Olin Lagan. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you're, you're right. Purple means purple. Maya means banana. Um, but there's there's a meaning to that, right? It is kind of an unusual name. Um, but I, I believe they took it from the Olalo Noeao, which goes, um, got to get it right, Hemaya Kekanaka Akala Ehuaai. Uh, which I think has some kind of meaning about um, a man is is like a banana tree on the day he bears fruit. And that's kind of the mm. idea with Purple Maya, right? That we're trying to nurture our students so that they can bear some kind of fruit. Um, so it's a, it's a Hawaiian technology organization. And, and we're trying to um, create access for technology education in places that do not yet have enough access. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I, I've only recently become aware of the organization recently, but it, uh, the, the papers were filed a couple of years ago. It's good to see um, it becoming more and more active in the community, more visible in the community. I'm sure that a lot of work has gone into it. And you mentioned the two founders, certainly people with a background in technology, um, but I can see sort of the social side to it as well. Well, we wanted to hear specifically about an event or one of the events that you're putting on called a uh, it's a coding workshop for middle school students. Yeah. Yeah, so that's going on this Saturday um, at the Sullivan Center in partnership with Iolani Schools. Uh, we, we've developed a little bit of a relationship with them so that we can, you know, sort of use that that facility and bring in students from, you know, public schools from different parts of the island to come in and like experience um, experience what it is to code and and what it is to uh, to to find out what is on the other side, right, of a of a computer screen. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I, I know that, uh, I, I, you know, after we have this conversation, everybody will want to sign up. But unfortunately, but unfortunately when yeah. I went to it sign is, up, it's, it's all full it's already. It's full already. Yeah, we were really pretty astounded by um, by how many people wanted to sign up. We, we thought, oh, 40. I don't know if we'll get 40 students. Um, but it filled up really fast as soon as school started and word got out. So, so it's fair to say it? that this isn't the last one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's not the last one, yes. Okay, good, good. So the, the idea with these workshops, right, is we're going to have some at Iolani, um, but we also want to be in other communities, and so moving around. So we have to kind of figure out 
where will the one in September be? But we're hoping to have one um, at least once a month. And so last Saturday, we had a teacher workshop. So we brought in public school teachers um, just to show them a little bit of JavaScript and a little bit of Xcode so that, you know, I think a lot of teachers are trying to trying to gain their own skills so that they can pass them on to their students and they don't know how to start. Um, so that's what we did last week. So we're also hoping to offer that mm-hmm, in the future. Mm-hmm. Now, um, one of the things that I had read on the Purple Maya website was also, and you talked about other communities. You're, you're also doing or have done things at Jarrett School. Yeah. yeah. So actually, that was how we started out. We started out with just the simple idea of after school classes for middle school students. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started with Jarrett Middle School just because we had a relationship there, right? So, um, so that happened. That happened for three quarters last year, once a week two-hour class teaching. Um, we started them off small with like little bits, which are these circuitry toys that yes, are like yeah. really fun. The kids really get into that. Um, and then from there went into computer hardware and software. What is what is a network? What is an internet versus an intranet? That kind of stuff. Um, and then got into Minecraft where we actually built an ahupua'a in Minecraft. Mm. And then from there, we didn't quite get to it, but the next part that we want to do is introduce them to modding in Minecraft. And that's where the coding comes in, right? Modding. Um, yeah, well, Wow, these are terms that I'm trying to get familiar well, with. Well, my sons, as I imagine almost anyone with a son in middle school, probably knows very well about Minecraft and modding. Um, I, I should ask, uh, it seems this program and the program that you're having this weekend, as well as the one you want to continue, mm-hmm. middle school seems to be a specific focus. Is there something about that age or that uh, that point in a child's educational uh, development yeah. that is attractive? Yeah, I you know... There's not, we haven't done a study or something, but I think um, everyone in the organization, the educators, we kind of had a sense that middle school was the right time to start. It's kind of before the students get to be too cool, you know, um, when they're still kind of open to things. Their minds are so ready um, at, at that point in time to just soak up that information. Um, so, yeah, we felt like middle school was a place we could intervene best, but we want to be, you know, f- way further down the line. I mean, right now we're focusing on um, expanding to other middle schools. So we're also going to be at Stevenson Middle School and Kamaili Academy starting this year. We've also done a few things with the Boys and Girls Club in Nanakuli. Um, mm. And we would want to be able to be like have a presence in high schools and even beyond at some point. It, it's the idea of a tech awai, right, like a continuous channel mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. of educational opportunities. Uh, but that's way further out, right? Mm-hmm. That's not something we're going to be doing now, was this there, year. Was there uh, um, an effort to kind of coordinate your workshops with, with the DOE? I know you said that there was a lot of uh, teachers that came in for a workshop, and, and I'm, I'm sure there's outreach that's going out to the teachers. Yeah. Is, the sort of, is the DOE kind of supportive of, of this program? I, I would hope so. You know, we <laughs> haven't talked directly with the DOE that I know of, um, but we've just been reaching out through networks, right? We, mm-hmm, last September, mm-hmm. we hosted a, um, an EdTech meetup Right, and we're able to invite a lot of public and private school teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, there's there's a network. Uh, Megan at 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 Iolani, you know, has people that they're they're trying to do their own outreach. So, so yeah, and and we got a lot of interest from the DOE teachers that came. Right. So you mentioned the uh, Xcode. Is there a is there a particular uh, developmental environment that you're getting the kids involved in? Is it for mobile devices? Is it for websites? Is it for what what is what is mm-hmm. it that they're focusing in on? Honestly, we've been focusing in on the the strengths that our teachers bring. So right right now, we've basically got two teachers. Bill Evangelista has been the lead instructor last year, and then Marian Ano is kind of joining him this year. We also had worked a lot with Dev League last year, actually, I Mm -hmm. should mention. Mm -hmm. So Charles from Dev League um, has helped a lot. Um, 
so yeah so so bill and marion bring different strengths marion is interested in mobile bill is interested in um more more web right so he's the one doing javascript she's the one doing xcode and we're happy with that for now i think mm -hmm. uh, i think javascript is really um easy for kids to get interested in because you can see that like automatic result it's mm. um and xcode is a little bit harder but no it's depth. but i think people are excited about apps and the idea of creating apps so yeah. i find both to be fascinating my 10 year old right is has surpassed my ability in self-taught Xcode. So mm -hmm. it's certainly possible. Um, so you said, you know, this workshop on Saturday is full, but there's one, you're hoping to do it monthly. Um, and we talked, you talked about Minecraft and some of these tools. Mm -hmm. uh, I am also curious if you could help share from the, the foundational, from the nonprofit side of uh, Purple Maya, what that vision is that you're adding to. I like the idea of a tech AI, sort of that pipeline. Yeah. I like the idea of um, working with native knowledge. We've had a show all last week devoted to that. So I have to check that out. When, I, didn't, when, I didn't do that. <laughs> when people want to talk, when people support Purple Maya, what is that overall mission, that social mission? Yeah. You know, it's hard to articulate that because it's so many things and everyone that's a part of our staff and our board comes at it with a different reason why they care about this. But I mean, for our founders, they grew up without a lot of resources, you know, from Lanai, from KPT, that's, that's the environments that they grew up in. And they really experienced technology as empowering, um, learning about it, feeling like, you know, here's something I can do. Like, I'm smart, actually. Um, they, they really feel that that was formative for them and they mm. want to be able to give it back. Right. Um, the thing I'm excited about, I guess, is just thinking about, like, what will happen when we combine, you know, the best of ancient Hawaiian knowledge, right? Technical knowledge. We're talking about like ecosystems management. Mm -hmm. We're talking about really advanced things, actually. What will happen when we have somebody um, who, not a lot of these people exist at this point, but somebody who is strong in that and is also strong in contemporary technical knowledge. What kinds of um, unforeseen, even disruptive things might come out of that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Last week, we talked about uh, the um, Ike, the Indigenous mm -hmm. Knowledge for Engineers. Uh, mm -hmm. And that was a very interesting program where I think a lot of uh, uh, indigenous ideas and principles are really sort of getting woven into sort of the engineering curriculum. And it sounds like what you guys are doing is a good pipeline into furthering that because Ike was primarily a college level. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, that's the idea with the, the Awai, right? We mm -hmm. like Awai better because it... It, it, it implies that the water as it moves through is not like separated from everything else like right, in a right. pipe. It's like flowing through the community. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we, we pick our metaphors. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, exactly. Right. Like it, that that kind of thinking needs to be kind of seeded all the way along along the development of a student's um, progress. Mm -hmm. So Kelsey, mm -hmm. if uh, if someone wants to be ready. For that next opportunity, yeah. where can they go to be kept up to date on uh, Purple Maya's workshops and other community activities? Yeah, so they can check out our website, which is just purplemaya.org. That's purple, M-A-I-A.org. Or you can email us at kokua at purplemaya.org. Sounds great. Thanks, Kelsey, for joining us. Thank you. Now, joining us here is Chalmer Lowe from Pai Hawaii. That's P-Y Hawaii. Still could be delicious. We'll find out. To tell us about the upcoming Pai Hawaii Con event. Welcome to the show, Chalmer. Thank you. Now, I know, Chalmer, you have a lot more to tell us about Pai uh, besides their upcoming conference. And, and of course, uh, we'll let you dive into it. But tell us first, Pi, P-Y, stands for Python, mm -hmm. and it's just one amongst many different programming languages that 
people could get into. And what is it that you might say is the redeeming value of Python versus something else? Sure. So Python evolved out of a DARPA project to create a programming language that was easy to use, easy to read, and easy to understand. Python has evolved over the past 20 years. It's a very, very good general-purpose language. Um, It's not only easy for folks to understand and to use. We teach to middle schoolers, but it's also extremely powerful. The gentleman who invented Python eventually worked for Google and used Python to strengthen Google's infrastructure. He was hired away from Google Works at Dropbox. If you go to the annual Python conference and you look at the types of companies that use Python, the biggest names in the industry fall into that arena. Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Disney Animation. If you've seen Frozen, if you've seen Big Hero 6, those movies were done with Python. Industrial Light and Magic, the folks who do all the special effects for Star Wars movies, they have a presence at PyCon every year as well. Mm-hmm. Microsoft mm-hmm. has gotten into the business, and they had a presence at PyCon in the past year. I, I, my only knowledge of Python um, is primarily the Google connection. And, in fact, among geeks, I remember the joke was, well, you know, Google doesn't have customer support lines, but they've probably got a Python script that can help you, you know, because <laughs> it was so reliant on that. Um, but you mentioned PyCon, the convention mm-hmm. for it, and I understand you have a pretty long connection with the organization and the educational component to it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, sir. So I serve as the Python Education Summit chairman. Every year we have a small con that's associated with PyCon. It's about eight hours in length, and we get educators from around the world, um, folks from Brazil, the U.K., et cetera, and we get together and talk about how can we improve the education of folks in the community on all levels, whether it be at middle school, high school, collegiate, and in in industry, and teach them to use Python efficiently to do a wide variety of things. Mm -hmm. Um, Python can be used to create web apps. There's a Django framework to help build web apps. It can be used for mobile apps. Kivi is a a powerful tool to do that. Um, It has got first, uh, it's got world-class libraries to help you do data science, data analytics, and data mining. Pandas, SciPy, Scikit-learn, et cetera. It's got uh, phenomenal power to do graphics, just talking about Disney animation and such. For system administrators, Python is found by default on Linux and Unix systems almost universally. It's trivial to install on Windows. Um, For the hardware hackers in your audience, you know, the Raspberry Pi and the Python Micro, both of those were designed from the ground up to use Python as the programming language of choice. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of places where, where folks can use it. So um, even though Kelsey has finished her presentation, I would say that if they're looking for other languages that they could introduce as a workshop, I'd say Python might be a good example of that as well. Absolutely. I'm glad, I'm glad we can connect, with <laughs> connect you. So in terms of uh, you know somebody getting into the coding environment and needing to choose something between, let's say, Ruby and Xcode and Swift and JavaScript and PHP, would there, aside from the fact that you know it's a it's a fairly straightforward programming language to learn, does it, for the most part, do everything that you want it to with Python? There are certain things that you don't want to use Python for, um, but in general, most of your audience, if they want to get into programming and they want to get started out, Python's a great language to start with. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's become extremely popular recently, so more and more colleges are teaching it. It is quickly 
encroaching upon the space of Java and C++ mm-hmm. as like the programming language of choice at colleges. Um, again, it's being taught in middle schools and high schools all around the all around the world. So there's a upcoming opportunity now in Hawaii mm-hmm. to learn about and explore the potential of Python called uh, Pi Hawaii or the Pi Hawaii Con. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going on there? So Pi Hawaii is a community. We're trying to build a, a a group of folks in Pi- in Hawaii who are educating themselves and mentoring themselves to use Python. Uh, we're looking to develop this community so that we're having fun, helping folks grow skills, helping folks to engage in serving the social good, and increase the richness and diversity of folks here in Hawaii who can use technology to, to better themselves, mm-hmm. to better the environment, and, and to basically better how Hawaii is running itself and how it's positioned in the tech community. When are you uh, targeting Pi Hawaii Con to take place? So Pi Hawaii runs a series of meetups right now. We have them weekly. We have monthly. Uh, we're looking at a quarterly in November. Um, and then Pi Hawaii Con, we're looking to have that one in about 10 months. So our, our weekly meetings are fairly informal. We have a short mentoring session. It's about 15 minutes in length. And then we have kind of social time where folks – talk to each other, work with each other, and, and uh, grow their skills. The monthly meetup, our next one is going to be the 28th of August. It should be a lot of fun. It's going to be at the Box Jelly, who's been a great sponsor to Pi, mm-hmm. Pi Hawaii. Um, so on the 28th, we've got two tracks. We've got a Padawan track for absolute beginners. Padawan track. I yeah. like oh. that. We've got a Jedi track. Um, <laughs> and during the Jedi track the, on the 28th of August, we're going to have someone show a demonstration of how they're using Python to interact with music. We're going to have mm-hmm. someone do a demonstration of how you can program the Raspberry Pi and do some hardware hacking. Um, my son is going to do a demonstration. He's 15 on nice. how you can essentially prove the controversial result that comes out of the Monty Hall problem. So he's built a simulation that runs through about 10 million episodes of the Monty Hall problem, and he proves, <laughs> he proves that, that controversial result. All right, that that sounds fascinating. Absolutely. So this that event is next uh, Friday. Um, if somebody wanted to become a member of or participate or be kept up to date on Pi Hawaii and its weekly meetups, monthly meetups, and eventually the conference, mm-hmm. um, where shall they go to find more information? You can go to PyHawaii.com, P-Y, Hawaii.com. Uh, Good. Right. Well, and of course, you know, we'll probably have to have you back uh, around that time. When the convention's coming And around. you can also sure. tell us about that shirt that you're wearing called P.Y. Pie Ladies. Pie Ladies. Well, that be, sounds interesting. Well, we're going to save that. Okay. Sure. We're going to save that because we want people to come back and listen to <laughs> our show. Absolutely. Anyway, thanks, John, for joining Thank us. And of course, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by John Ran and student Gino Ann Kung, and they'll talk about the National Maker Fair. How did students in Hawaii have the opportunity to attend and what are they planning to do next? We'd, of course, love to hear your thoughts or questions as part of that conversation. So please give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands. You can dial 877-941-3689. And, of course, we're live here in the studio and monitoring Twitter. You can reach us at Bite Marks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe. In the land of drought, those with the water are kings. They control our destiny here. They really do. Uh, And they can dry this town up. I'm Kai Rizdahl. Farms in the desert in the middle of a drought. What could possibly go wrong? We'll have that and the rest of the day's business news as well next time on Marketplace from APM. This evening at 6, following Bite Marks Cafe.
Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Gwen Cooper, author of Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about how I learned about love and life with a blind wonder cat. Sunday morning at 11. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is John Ran and student Gina Wan, Wan Chun. I'm sorry, Wan Kung. <laughs> I must be uh, mixing up my letters here. John is a professor over at the University of Hawaii and director of STEM for the UH system. Gina, meanwhile, is a student at Kapilani Community College, a natural science student who designed an autonomous payload consisting of an Arduino microcontroller. Wow. And how do uh, students get selected to participate in, I think, what is the first National. National Maker Fair. Of course, we'd love to hear your comments and questions. And, of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you letting us be here. So what I, what I want to do is start off with, uh, with you, John, because we've had you on probably it might be about two years ago. And it's kind of right around the time you came back from Washington. And, and uh, I know we had you on talking about EPSCoR and that big program. And, of course, at, at that time, we also, I think, touched a little bit about STEM, which is a, you know, science, technology, engineering, math. And you're, you're the director for STEM in the UH system. I wanted to kind of catch up a little bit with you and find out what exactly is going on with STEM in the system and how do you, in your role, direct some of those STEM activities as it trickles out to the community colleges, as perhaps even, I don't know if it, it impacts the, 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 the high schools. How does STEM, from your vantage point, you know, sort of get, get affected? Yeah, uh, STEM has just proliferated hugely um, nationally, uh, but certainly here in Hawaii as well. Uh, in all 10 campuses of our system, we are building programs in, in STEM education that uh, we hope will be stellar. Uh, for the country, um, the education that you can get in Hawaii is is very special in in certain colleges, in particular Kapilani Community College, uh, where Gina's from, is one of those. Um, you, you know, other than your regular courses, your chemistry, your physics, your engineering, and so on, uh, we do a lot of very innovative things, and we have a lot of various pathway programs, a lot of programs to uh, retain, uh, recruit students, and retain them, and. One of the biggest things that we do is, for example, undergraduate research experiences with students where students get to do more than just go to classes. They do other things. Uh, Gina and I were just outside chatting about uh, the engineering club that just got started up at the community colleges. So that's, that's fantastic stuff, and it's really what gets kids engaged. And uh, those kind of initiatives we're going to try to put on all of our campuses because we know their best practices in education. We know that from experience nationally, and we know that 
from just feedback from students, and we see that in the increased number graduation rates that we have at the University of Hawaii, the transfer rates from the community colleges to our four-year colleges and so on. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, before the break, we were talking to Kelsey from Purple Naya Foundation, and she talked about the the technological awai, the flow of water that brings people or a community into uh, a, a single channel for the betterment of a community. You mentioned uh, student recruitment. So it is. it does sound like from uh, r- repeating perhaps Bert's question that there is kind of a component to this where you go uh, – through the community colleges to high schools and and perhaps even younger students. Absolutely. I mean, one of the biggest projects that I'm working on right now as part of the new office that we're now starting up Mm -hmm. at the university called the Office of of STEM Education, uh, which is brand new. I mean, it's going to get rolled out literally next month. Um, And in that office, we have a Pathways Project, the STEM Pathways Project. We meet regularly now with with folks in an office in Hawaii called P20, which is part Mm -hmm. of the university. P20 looks at the whole pipeline for all education. But now we've really focused on science, and we have meetings regularly with K-12 science and STEM experts. We meet with the CTE director, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. career and technical education Mm -hmm. director. Uh, We meet meet with the... uh, the coordinators of pro- of curricular programs at the community colleges, and we're meeting regularly now to develop a a clear pathway uh, all the way from middle school to graduate school. And the important part of the new pathway is the stop in uh, or the stop out and move in points where you can literally get on and off the path and mm-hmm. go, go out to work because this is a very, very important part of workforce now, now development. This is very encouraging. I mean, you know, Ryan and I have been covering – science and technology scene here in Hawaii for seven years now. Seven years. <laughs> seven years. It feels like ten. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. Three. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and what we've observed is that over the course of the you know, seven years, we've been covering STEM. STEM comes from all aspects of our environment here. I mean, from things like the Science Olympiad to the Science Fair to robotics to just about anything that you can think of, which largely – is extracurricular kinds of activities. And the question that we oftentimes pose is, who's coordinating all of this? Where, where's that central point of uh, not decision-making, but who is looking at our overall sort of STEM activity and, and measuring? Are we actually successful in any of these events or programs that help kids to actually get into jobs? And are we even creating those jobs for those students to now participate in. And I'm hoping that you will say yes to this question, which is, is that what the function of your office is now going to be? Doing? Absolutely. I mean, you're setting me up beautifully here. <laughs> I, that's another really large project. In addition to the Pathways Project, we have a project. We call it SEARCH. This is the name that we've come up with. I'm sure it's an acronym. Okay, okay. It stands for Science Education Assets and Resources Clearinghouse at the University of Hawaii. Once we get our house, because we have so many things going on just at the university with the 10-campus system that we have a hard time tracking all of our our programs. Mm-hmm, There's so mm-hmm, much mm-hmm. going on. One of the reasons I think that my position was actually created just last year because we're trying to coordinate all these educational activities. Once we do this, we feel – and we can we can get a catalog – really, of our assets and resources and what we're doing, what programs we have, what initiatives are, are really moving forward, then we want to roll it out to, to K-12 and then all of Hawaii. And in fact, when your guests just previously left the room, I asked, do you have right. cra- cards I could have? <laughs> because, you know, I think those kind of programs are where we want to 
we want to go in, in terms of trying to get a hold of, of what we actually can do in Hawaii. So when would it be that I could look at this STEM dashboard and perhaps tell whether we are on track with getting kids into the STEM program as well as getting kids into STEM positions in Hawaii? I mean, when do you see a dashboard like that becoming available? Well, I think that, um, yeah, in, in terms of a catalog or a dashboard, I, I'm not sure exactly when to roll that out. We're certainly going to start that process this year when the introduction of the Office of STEM Education. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we get a hold of all of these programs like the, the, the last the two points. speakers? Yeah. Um, fantastic programs should be part of that clearinghouse. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I wasn't even aware of it. So here I am supposedly in a position where I'm, I'm supposed to be, you know, involved in all these things, and I actually don't have a good handle on some of this stuff, particularly middle school and so on. There's so much going on uh, in 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 the robotics community. Cybersecurity is is just blowing, blossoming, you know, tremendously. Cyber Patriot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so much going on. We will do our best, certainly, to help you. Well, I've just thought of that out there. I said, you know, I bet, (laughs) yeah, you know, these two guys, guys, these two guys probably have a pretty good handle (laughs) on this clearinghouse to begin with. Maybe we should get their input. Well, Gina, we've uh, kept you waiting long enough. John spoke about the the pathway, bringing students in and helping them find the right off ramp for them. But you know, John probably may or may not have been the person who. Uh, encouraged you to join the engineering side at KCC. So I'm curious, first of all, before we get to the National Maker Fair, what was it that was your on-ramp to this pathway, the STEM pathway? How did you get interested and involved? Well, I always knew I wanted to do um, something with engineering, and then that kind of hit me in high school, actually. And then um, I didn't actually know about the STEM program at KCC and wasn't fully aware of it until I had taken a math class and then my math teacher had mentioned oh you know come by the STEM center and so I went and I was like wow you know they have all this opportunity for me and you know it was right there and then I just got started you found your home (laughs) so when you say uh there's a STEM center what maybe describe a little bit more about what is in the STEM center and and you as a student sort of walking in what is what was it that stood out for you as perhaps being an opportunity Well, um, the STEM Center, it's full of um, faculty that have offices within there. Um, There's a lot of peer mentors to help you with all your classes. Um, What stood out the most was the EK program. Um, And then I actually talked to uh, Lindsay Bull at the time, and she got me um, interested in doing um, URE's undergrad research um, experience. Mm -hmm, And then mm -hmm. um, I actually got started at with um, Dr. Hervey Collin, who's actually my mentor for my project that I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, we just last week's show was about the, uh, EK, the right? EK symposium. Did you attend? What was that experience like for you? Um, I didn't attend with my project. I kind of more went to see um, all the other different projects. Sure. But it was very um, eye-opening, and I actually kind of wanted – I have some ideas I kind of want to do in the future – now you know we um we talked a little well we talked about EK last week we talked a little bit about EK with our news guest today and of course EK indigenous knowledge in engineering what is it about the indigenous knowledge that attracted you to get involved and how did you incorporate that into your sort of engineering thinking Well um it was more um, the connections with other students who have the same background as I do, Native Hawaiian, who who are interested in engineering. Mm-hmm. And then um, it was more um, learning about 
our culture as a native Hawaiian and kind of incorporating that within certain aspects of engineering. Mm -hmm. Sure. Now, um, what caught our attention and the reason why we were happy to have you and John here was the fact that Hawaii was represented in what I believe was the first national Maker Fair. Now, Honolulu has now had two annual mini Maker Fairs affiliated with the maker organization in San Francisco. But uh, this was a national Maker Fair. Can you tell uh, – John, could you tell us about what, a, what, what set that program apart from what we've not seen before? Yeah, the, the, there's a really big national movement. Like you said, came came mostly out of San Francisco, mm-hmm. but it's actually all over the country now. It's blossoming very, very quickly. It's really based on three kind of technological breakthroughs that have happened very recently. Uh, CR, CNC routing machines are an, a way that you can program a machine to cut wood for you to do all kinds of cool things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have uh, 3D printing, which has just blossomed and has become very, very powerful as a way to make things, uh, all kinds of various things. Uh, people are coming up with very creative ideas. And the third kind of piece of or leg of the stool is the Arduino You've probably heard that term, too, yes. a lot. Uh, Arduino is a, a device to control electronic systems. And so with those three advances, the maker movement has really allowed citizen scientists to be able to do all kinds of extremely creative things, including here in Hawaii. Uh, Iolani uh, High School has picked up big time on it in the Mini Make Affair. And there are a number of others that are now – actually, the University of Hawaii is uh, the College of Engineering – and uh, that group, we're going to probably have an installed uh, maker space. Well, I, I want to hear more about the you know the University's Hawaii University mm-hmm. of Hawaii sort of maker movement. Now, you mentioned the National Maker Fair, and Tim O'Reilly, who you know we all love and respect, he's the guy that publishes all the tech journals, and he has branded sort of the maker fair. Uh, there's a big maker fair that takes place in San Francisco. And like you said, there's maker fairs that occur across the country. Around the world. Right. And this is primarily because there's such a large community of people wanting to get hands-on uh, with, with creating stuff. And, of course, once our mini maker fair graduates to that sort of Four. larger deployment, I think we will have our own maker fair oh, here definitely. associated with. But I, what I'm curious about is – when did the national sort of maker fair come up? I mean, was it something that O'Reilly came up with the idea? And then how did you guys get involved? Well, uh, that's a great question. We, we, um, uh, it started off really with a kind of a call from the White House. So the White House got involved and oh. the president actually uh, was hosting an event uh, to invite maker fair type uh projects going on at the White House. And uh, the National Science Foundation got very much involved. In fact, all of the major agencies in Washington then got very involved in, and started to learn more about what Maker was. Mm-hmm. And now there's mm-hmm. actually program solicitations specifically on catalyzing uh, Maker space opportunities at, all over the country. Uh, we were contacted by the National Science Foundation who awarded a, a large grant, EK is EK, which we talk about, is okay. actually the pre-engineering education collaboration. That's the uh-huh. kind of the term. We, our local term is EK mm-hmm. that we use. Uh, our program officer from the National Science Foundation at the Tribal Colleges and Universities program actually contacted us and said, hey, we really need students here. And, you know, are you doing anything like that? And, of course, we said, yes. Yeah, we're doing, ton- doing something. <laughs> and we've been doing tons of stuff. Actually, we sent uh, three other students with Gina, and, and we had all kinds of 
pretty fascinating projects going on. Well, mm-hmm. I definitely want to hear about Gina's project. We're talking to John Rand, the director of STEM for the University of Hawaii System, and Gina Wan Kung, who was a KCC student who participated in the National Maker Fair. If you've got a question about the maker movement or the opportunities that you may find at any level of education, you can call and ask 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. So, Gina, the call went out. John said, yes, we have talented, brilliant students doing interesting things. What was it that you brought to the table for the National Maker Fair? I brought a uh, autonomous payload that uh, consisted of a Arduino that um, programmed um, to tell a uh, barometer and a uh, camera to take measurements and uh, record video while um, during its flight. So, Gina, this, uh, you know, th- did this just sort of pop into your head that <laughs> I wanted to integrate this Arduino with the barometer? and Or was it something that you had previously worked on? I mean, what, what was the sort of the genesis of your uh, sort of payload system? So um, it's actually, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. It's, it's part of my uh, undergrad research experience project. Mm-hmm. And um, it kind of got started by um, my mentor, um, Hervey Colling. He kind of just was like, okay, here you go. Um, I want, I have this expectations and I, and I want you to do this and this. And I was like, okay, I've never done this before, but, uh, you know, I'll give it a try. And it's, um, also based off, uh, CANSAT, which is an annual competition by NASA. It's funded by NASA. And, um, it's kind of a, a diet CANSAT version of that. Mm -hmm. You say diet CANSAT? Yes, diet CANSAT, which is, um, so CANSAT, it's more of a, a bigger array of sensors, and um, mine just happens to be about one or two out of the many sensors that's attached to a regular CANSAT. I see. Mm-hmm. Now, yours was one of the projects, and at what stage did your project have to be in order to catch the eye of John Rand for its selection? I mean, did it have to be something that has already been launched, had, had already been tested? I mean, at what phase did you get your project in order to impress this handsome man here? <laughs> well, um, it got off the ground. Okay, that's <laughs> good. Very important that's good. for something that needs to be launched. Um, I, you know, in, in, it works. It does what it does. Um, you know, it, it takes readings, measurements, altitudes, uh, temperatures, mm-hmm. um, and it also records images, what I wanted it to do. So, John, yeah, what, what, what was it that uh, kind of attracted you to this project? Yeah, and I, I would like to emphasize that one of the kind of the staunch descriptions of Maker Faire is that they're not necessarily the best projects. They're the in, they're students being creative, and mm-hmm, that's what we're mm-hmm. really trying to promote. And uh, although these projects were fantastic, of course, um, and they were built off of other projects, you know, the whole concept of the Maker Faire is get in there and get your hands dirty and build something. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to even work the first time. Mm-hmm. You're learning. You're learning how to do this, but you're also using your hands and you're making things, not just, you know, sitting in a class learning about physics or something. So mm-hmm. it's really, really important. That's a very important part of the national organization that we, we just encourage people to do that. And if you look at the various projects that were at the National Maker Fair, it was fantastic. We saw projects. Well, you probably could describe them. Yeah. Um, I, well, I, we want to talk yeah, okay. more about some of the things you saw, what that experience was like. Gina, I love that your entry into all of this was through mathematics, from mathematics and something conceptual to something hands-on. But we will talk about that after this short break. We will continue our conversation. 
conversation with John Rand and student Gina Wan Kung about the maker movement. And of course, what does it take to be a student maker? And of course, we'd like to hear more about some of the other projects that went up to the National Maker Fair. And, and of course, we'd love to hear your questions and comments. That number to call is 941-3689 from the neighbor... Uh, from Oahu, and of course from the neighbor islands, you can call 877-941-3689. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Solutions to Hawaii homelessness is now on the weekly agenda in the governor's office. Over the next few days, the executive director of the U.S. Interagency Council on Homelessness is in Hawaii. We'll get to hear his take on Hawaii's progress when Matthew Doherty joins us tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. Hi, this is Ray Cruz inviting you to join me tonight from 8 to 10 for Latin Beat. I'll be playing classic Afro-Cuban Latin jazz, Latin Big Band classics, and share the latest releases in Latin jazz. That's Latin Beat tonight from 8 to 10 here on HBR2, member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. See you tonight. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital, Infinity of Honolulu, and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And we're talking to John Rand, Director of STEM for the University of Hawaii System and Kapilani Community College student Gina Wan Kung about the Maker Movement and the National Maker Fair. And, of course, if you have a comment or question, feel free to give us a call here. That number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands and Right before the break, we were talking about uh, Gina's project, but there were other projects that went up to the National Maker Fair, and I understand there were like four altogether. And, and John, maybe give us a sense of what were some of the other projects uh, that, that, you know... Represented Hawaii. Represented Hawaii. Uh, we had four students that were fantastic, and, and Gina's program uh, project was really uh, extremely well accepted. We had another project that was uh, kind of mimicking a Mars ro- uh, rover, mm-hmm. so it could... could uh, navigate various terrains and so on. We had a skateboard that was remotely operated. That got a lot of attention. <laughs> a lot of folks were looking at how you mount, you know, the Adrena board to control it. And a lot of the gearing and so on was 3D printed. Mm-hmm. So we built that skateboard was pretty much built from scratch, uh, or at least the, the parts to make it remote, uh, remotely operated. And then the the last one was, uh, was actually an electric guitar that was made as part of the Capulani Community College Summer Bridge Program, where students actually build an electric guitar. They take all the pieces, put it together, and, you know, uh, do the electronics to get the elect- to, mm-hmm. to, you know, did you, wire the pickups and so on. Did you have to go through a selection process? Were there a lot of projects you had to choose from? And, or how did, you know, how did these four get selected? Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit uh, just a matter of, of trying to figure out who could do this and who was ready, kind of shovel ready, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't get a lot of time to plan this out as, as well as we should have. Obviously, this year, we'll, it'll be much more uh, controlled in that respect. Uh-huh, but, uh-huh. Yeah, we, we, we ask students to do this. We do this all the time, the poor students. You know? <laughs> Can you guys go to Washington, D.C. and represent us? It's a, it's a difficult thing. But um, 
you know, so we, we looked at what program, which uh, projects were really ready to go. And, mm-hmm. so and, and Gina, what, was this the, uh, have you been able to go to Washington, D.C. before? Was this, uh, what kind of experience did you have over there? Um, it was like my first time there. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was so great. Um, I got to meet a whole bunch of different engineers or, and people, hobbyists who were interested in my project. And it was just great. Now, when um, okay, so when you are actually at this sort of national maker fair, I am trying to envision how the mini maker fair is, where everybody has like a table or a booth, and they're demonstrating what their maker project is all about. Is that pretty much what the national maker fair was like? Yep. And then we had people coming by, um, just checking out our projects. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then I also got to um, go and see other projects too. Um, I saw uh, Navajo Tech University. They built a 3D scanner from uh, $13. They printed it, and it was Arduino powered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you saw some other ideas that you might want to bring home and try to apply yourself? Yeah, we actually got to um, uh, network with them, so we're hoping to do some kind of project with them. Now, we talked about Project EK, the Indigenous Knowledge and Education, the Peace Program, and, and John talks quite a bit, and one of his focuses certainly is increasing the diversity of the pipeline in STEM. Um, when you were there, did you see a lot of people from different backgrounds, and were you able to speak with anybody about that, about your cultural uh, differences and how that might have contributed to uh, your ability to participate in that program? Um, not really, but I did see a bunch of people from like different backgrounds, you know, um, hobbyists, um, like Navajo Tech University, uh, based out of North, um, New Mexico, um, and people who are there just to, you know, for business opportunities. How many, how many, uh, students do you think altogether were a part of the, you know, National Maker Fair? I'm not sure. I, maybe a hundred. And, and this, this was primarily students, right? It wasn't like... Like the Mini Maker Fair here is anybody, you can be, you know, like a, a maker space, you could be a baker, a sewer, you know, whatever you wanted to do and, and, and be represented. But for this National Maker Fair, it was all students. Um, well, not all students. There was um, entrepreneurs there um, and uh, parents who um, helped their children with, like, um, inventions and stuff like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. So John was... was- was education kind of the underlying theme here, or was it the creativity, as you had mentioned? Um, what kind of formed the the the, the theme for the National Maker uh, Fair? This, the Maker Fair, as I mentioned before, is is really a a big event to try to enhance creativity and working with your hands. Mm-hmm. And anyone can do it from five years old up to eighty years old. We saw at the national meeting, we saw a car. A car it looked like a little Lotus full-on car that mm-hmm. was all printed on a 3D printer. Wow. It was fascinating, I mean, except for the engine, which, which they put in. But even transmission parts were actually 3D printed. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. We had little kids that invented uh, all kinds of uh, using kitchen utensils. You could play like an instrument by, by tapping on different kitchen utensils. Wow. So it's, it's just a – it's really a, an opportunity to be creative. There was a lot – there's a big art influx into this as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of mm-hmm. artists were involved in this. And there's a fair number of vendors. I was almost disappointed a little bit that a lot of vendors were there. I mean, we, we probably a lot of them were there. They were doing great things, but they're selling stuff. They're well, selling Arduino the boards, and well, so the, that, yeah, that's interesting. So you have students that have their hand-built, homemade skateboard, remotely controlled skateboard, and then what? Next to that might be a vendor like a like a Cisco or a, you know somebody selling 
laptop computers? I mean, how does that work? Basically, those three things, you know, uh, the, the 3D printers, CNC machines, and Arduino electronics. Okay, so maybe, maybe over the place. I mean, they were they were trying to sell T-shirts as well as their, so maybe their part products. of it was you know in order to get this project funded or this you know, event funded, they had to get the the vendors there who service this maker community, and then and also mix it up with the, all the students. What was the most impressive maker, uh, let's say, project that you saw, Gina? Um, I'm not sure who had brought it, but um, they had. 3D printed uh, organs uh, based off of actual like CT scans. Body organs? Yeah. Uh huh. Like a brain and a heart. Uh huh. Uh huh. And that was based off of, like you said, 3D uh, scans? Actual CT scans oh. from someone. So instead of so at this point getting a 3D printed bobblehead of yourself is, is passe, now you want a 3D <laughs> printed copy of your own brainy. Yeah, yeah oh. that could be interesting. Oh, okay. So I'd like to hear, John, about the, um, you know, having come back from this uh, Maker Fair and and having students now be motivated in this whole Maker movement. What does UH want to do with regard to sort of this Maker? I mean, and, you know, when we do the mini Maker Fair, uh, UH is definitely involved. Maybe not at your level, but you know, <laughs> at at various uh, student levels, they're they're definitely involved. But from a more system level, how do you see UH getting involved with the maker movement? Well, I think that clearly the opportunity for students to do hands-on work is really a powerful, uh, very very powerful teaching tool. Uh, we find that students are much more engaged in learning when they aren't just doing book work. Mm-hmm. There's a lot mm-hmm. of that, of course, but mm-hmm. and you can't deny it. But you also need to be able to do certain things, develop skills for certain things. Uh, engineers of the future will need to use simple Arduino and some of the programming, Python and, and some of these other programming, JavaScripting and so on, which is part of the Maker Fair. They'll have to learn how to use 3D printing. They'll have mm-hmm. to do these things because you know, that's going to be really important skill sets in the workforce because these things are, are roaring up as major, major technologies that are coming on. And uh, the university is is really committed to uh, building a maker spaces at the university itself. UH Manoa has plans, I believe, uh, in the next round of funding from the National Science Foundation, Kapiolani Community Colleges has actually uh, put in some uh, proposal for a maker space. Where they're going to put it, we don't know. They're very cramped in space. But, um, you know, you can just Google Maker Hawaii and you'll find that there are maker spaces all over Honolulu. Mm-hmm. There's one in Maui. There's uh, a Hawaii big makers, one over yeah. in uh, in the Big Island that's open to the community. Uh, some of that work was done early on by someone from the department uh, from the uh, Department of Education, Neil Scott, who put together right, a very right. powerful maker program over on the Big Island, which focused on. Uh, help supporting people with disabilities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and that was great. They right. they could help you if you're interested in building. You're an artist. You want to build a frame right. for your. His is called the uh, makery. The makery, makery. Right. Right. right, right. So this is all, and you know you could argue that the robotics movement in Hawaii, first robotics, and all those things, those really are kind of an educational form of the makery. You know. So but, so that kind of leads me to my next question: is there is already in existence robotics programs. You got FIRST, you got VEX, you got Lego Lee, you got BotBall, you got Underwater, you know, all of those. How do you roll into this what may be perceived as another layer of extracurricular stuff that teachers got to do uh, and now become sort of a, a maker element, which is above and beyond 
the robotics activities. So is this more stuff layered on, or how do you, you know, start to differentiate you know, the activity that, uh, and, and for the most part, a lot of this is going to go on to the shoulders of the science teachers, yeah. correct? I think the makerspace movement is, is powerful in that it's not prescriptive. We're not tell- Generally, the basic idea of makerspace is that you, know, you don't have to build a robot. You know, for first robotics, you've got to build a robot. Mm-hmm, for CANSAT mm-hmm, competition, mm-hmm. you've got to build this satellite mm-hmm, that fits mm-hmm, in a can. Mm-hmm. These are competitions with real specific prescriptive types of things that we're – makerspaces are designed so that they provide the equipment for you and instrumentation for you to be creative and build what you want to build. And so that's really a, a departure from traditional education where we have a set of rules that you kind of have to follow. Mm-hmm. It's get in there, get creative, and build something. If it's maybe just a chair for your house, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you, you're learning a lot of things, a lot of skills that might be really, really powerful and might engage you to want to go more, go further. You know, maybe you want to 3D print that chair or maybe you want to 3D print parts of the chair or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Gina, your application is very specific. It uses particular components. Actually, we should ask you, what is your language of choice? We're almost having kind of the battle of the languages over the last few months here. Python. Uh, <laughs> no. <well> the, <laughs> what, what do you use? Um, actually, it's a programming C. Programming? Programming C. Programming C. 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 Yeah, C. 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 Sorry, C. <laughs> um, I actually took a class last semester on it. And um, my mentor, Mitch Pakami, he actually helped me with it because I didn't start the class until um, afterwards. I see, I see. So I had to learn it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's a testament that you were able to learn it and be able to get this project. So you hear John talk about all these other opportunities from right down to you need a new chair for your dorm room. <laughs> Why not just make your own? Uh, you went from mathematics to working with Arduino and this payload. Um, what do you think you might explore next that might be outside of that realm of comfort to continue to get your hands on with uh, with programs like this? What um, what appeals to you? What appeals to me is actually um, I love working with electronics, um, programming. Uh, my first programming experience was um, HTML, actually. And then um, in math, my uh, teacher had us do um, papers in a program called LaTeX. Mm-hmm. which is a math language that, um, you know, everything comes out nicely and everything. And then um, then C, which was really hard for me <laughs> at the time. But now I, I actually want to do Python. All right. Yeah. Well, we're meeting all the right people on today's That's right. Show. That's right. So now school is going to start. Uh, I think uh, community colleges start on the 24th, which is Monday. <laughs> and and so Gina, what 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 do you have planned for uh, you know this yeah. academic year? Um, actually, I'm full on Mondays. All my classes are on Mondays. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. I got calc in the morning. Um, physics, sorry, calc three. I got <laughs> physics 170, which is the first physics that's calculus based. Um, I have a research intensive lab for um physics, and then I have a uh, English mm-hmm. 272. Mm-hmm. And you're on top of all of that. There's these kind of projects. Oh, yeah. And then I'm still continuing my project that I took with me up to D.C. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, John, when you talk about all of this, and and it it really sounds largely as extracurricular, my son, who's currently considering uh, Lego robotics this year at Milani Middle School, for him, it sounds fun, but also sounds like work on top of schoolwork. Work for the dad. (laughs) <laughs> well, how do you how do you make that case to a student who might say, well, you know, my Calc three is more than enough for my brain. Um, where is the practical application or the benefit for me to get involved in some of these extracurricular activities? That's really the quintessential question. I mean, I when I 
took this job, one of the things I needed to do was just figure out what is it a student really needs if they want to go to the University of Hawaii and succeed in STEM. And the answer is you have to push to chemistry, uh, to calculus in mathematics, and you have to you have to have chemistry and or biology and physics. And so you've got to take these courses. And I love these programs. I love the Maker program. I love robotics. All of these initiatives are fantastic, but they are supplementary to these basic courses that you really need to take to be able to be successful in college if mm-hmm. you are going to take that path. And it's really, really important to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't, we find that your success rates and in the college courses really begin to decline. And, and that's where we lose a lot of students. Fortunately, some of these projects keep them going. They're very excited about it. But unfortunately, you know, a two-year program at a community college may end up taking four years if you're going to spend a lot of time doing these things. So, uh, it, it's absolutely essential that we do both, and we need to figure out how to do that very well. But students need to know, first and foremost, take your your science classes, and I'm talking about the foundational science classes in high school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, uh, Gina, it sounds like you're pretty well-equipped to follow that advice by taking the right classes. Um, yeah, it's true. Um when I first wanted to do my undergrad research experience, I had no idea what I wanted to do because I haven't, I hadn't taken any kind of physics or chem yet. And so this was kind of, my project was kind of thrown on my lap for me. Mm-hmm. And if I had taken um, physics already, then I would have already had like a background on what kind of project I wanted to work on. And so like John was saying, it's very important to have the basis of the classes that you take first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, John, whether you're a student who's coming into a community college or the University of Hawaii system or perhaps a high school educator that wants to connect on the other side of that growing pipeline um, or someone at the at a university or community college who is a faculty who says, wait, I should be part of this group too. Um, as you're building out this Office of STEM Education at the University of Hawaii, what or how is the best way for someone to raise their hand and get involved and be put on your list? Yeah, so we're uh, like I mentioned, we're, we're a little, we're about maybe two weeks away from rolling out our website, which is built. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't rolled it out into official uh, UH uh, system yet, but um, that's coming very, very quickly. Uh, you can always contact me uh, at the University of Hawaii. I'm just J Rand, J R A N D at Hawaii.edu. Sounds good, and we'll put that in our show notes at uh, BiteMarksCafe.org. Well, John Rand is the director of STEM at the University of Hawaii, and Gina Wang Chung is the Wang Kung is at the <laughs> KCC, and she is destined to be—I know it because I can feel it—a double E student <laughs> in the near future. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. Thank, thank you so much, and thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll find out what is strong AI. And if you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on BiteMarksCafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at BiteMarks.org. And, of course, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Girls Names and a song called Reticence. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.